Welcome to We've Got This with Reverend Tarina Salcedo. This is a down-to-earth podcast for parents because life is hard and we are just trying to figure out life, faith, and parenting one day at a time. We're going to keep things real here, and my prayer is that you find something that feeds your soul and reminds you that you are not alone because we are in this together and we've got this. This is episode one, Anxiety, Do Not Tell Me to Calm Down. This is not an easy conversation. And don't worry, I promise I'm not going to feed you easy answers either. I hope that if you or someone you love deals with anxiety, that you feel seen today and come away with something that you can apply to your life. All right, let's talk. We all deal with a certain amount of anxiety, am I right? I mean... I'm experiencing some anxiety right now as I record my first podcast episode, and we've all been experiencing some anxiety with this global pandemic pandemic that we're facing, right? It's normal to have some anxiety, but that is different than someone who has an anxiety disorder. So what is the difference? So each anxiety disorder has their own unique set of symptoms, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And all anxiety disorders have one thing in common. Persistent, excessive fear or worry in situations that are not threatening. So one could argue that the the anxiety we're experiencing with COVID-19 is somewhat justified, right? Because there is a real threat. Now, we're all handling that at different levels of anxiety for sure. But... I speak to you here not as an expert on anxiety. I'm coming to you as a pastor who sees the impact that anxiety has on a family and the individual. And Christianity has not always helped us navigate mental health issues. I also come to you as a mom because I'm raising a daughter who does deal with an anxiety disorder. And I will tell you that what she experiences is not the same as what I'm experiencing right now in my nervousness to create this podcast episode. So from an outsider's perspective, what it seems like is that the person exhibiting anxiety is overreacting. And they are, right? But we think they just need to realize they're overreacting and calm down. But anyone who's raised a toddler can remember back to the frequent frequent temper tantrums and that feeling of um, the being in the grocery store aisle with your toddler screaming in the cart. And for those of you with toddlers right now, this is a fresh experience for you and that feeling that you have because they are out of control. So then you feel out of control. Now, I'm not saying that someone with an anxiety disorder is having a temper tantrum. Not at all. However, I do feel like as a mom, the experiences, they feel similar. There is no reasoning with the person because their emotions are totally in control. Now, anxiety disorders are not as uncommon as you might think. And we can benefit from learning about anxiety, even if we don't deal with anxiety 
personally or within our immediate family. Because I guarantee you that you deal with people at work, at church, running errands, commuting in gridlock, who are carrying the weight of anxiety. And we can all grow our empathy so that we respond in a kinder, more compassionate way. We may even learn something that helps us with that toddler temper tantrum. All right, these are the numbers that come from the National Alliance on Mental Illness Illness website, which is NAMI.org. Over 40 million adults in the U.S., that's 40 million, and that's about 19% of the population, have an anxiety disorder. And approximately 7% of children ages 3 to 17 experience issues with anxiety every year. So what can we do about it? Well, my daughter Audrey is here to help us out a little bit. Hey, Audrey. Hi. Can you tell everyone just a little bit about yourself? I am 13, so I'm going into eighth grade and I suffer from anxiety, specifically social anxiety. Okay. How has your anxiety been during this pandemic? Well, since I have social anxiety, and we haven't seen too many people, I've been pretty good. (laughs) Okay. So how is that different, though, from when you're in school and things, and we aren't locked down in our house trying to limit our exposure to people? Mm Mm-hmm. So when... I'm at home all the time. I can rely on my surroundings being stable, predictable. I know where things are most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas with places like schools or like going out with friends, I don't have that sense of security with me because... There are so many different variables that happen that, like, come into view when I leave the house. Okay. So, sometimes those variables hit you like a ton of bricks, like you, Mm -hmm. and um, it spikes in you a heightened level of anxiety, right? Yeah. To the point of an anxiety attack. Right? Yeah. Can you... um, It's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's not fun. Um, Can you tell me, explain to everybody what happens in your body when you have an anxiety attack? Well, physically, um, I go... Usually I start to go numb or become super aware of my surroundings. It's either or, it's never in between. I either feel nothing, I feel like I don't feel my hands touching the table, or I am so aware of my hands touching the table that it is like overpowering my mind. I also start to sweat a lot, which isn't good in public. 
Sometimes I start shaking, my heart starts racing. Not fun, but mentally, mm-hmm. it usually, usually, like, it starts before the physical aspects is oh, when sure. the anxiety attack hits. So I start to overanalyze whatever I'm doing and overanalyze what I think other people might be thinking or doing or, like, thinking of me. Mm. So that starts to pile up on top of, like, all of these things that I'm thinking about start to pile on top of each other and then the problems start to mix and it becomes so overwhelming that the physical parts of a anxiety attack hit me. Okay. And sometimes it's crying, and so, mm-hmm. which draws attention to yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so, then attention is being drawn to you, if there are other people around, mm-hmm. and people are trying to be really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are things that um, people say to you that are not helpful? And you can even share things that maybe I've said that is that are not helpful, because... I'm not perfect either. It's okay. No one's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So what are things that people have said that in the moment are not helpful? I think is just, are you okay? Because it's blatantly obvious that I'm not. (laughs) So asking me if I am does not help it. It just doesn't help the situation whatsoever. How, that's, thing, that's something oh, that I get yeah. really often. Yeah, uh, yes, I could see that. How about calm down? Is that a good one for people to say to you? Definitely not. <laughs> I don't get that one as often, but when it does happen, it's more infuriating. Because you can't... It's There's no off switch. You can't tell someone to calm down and they're just going to calm down. Like, if you're frustrated about something, and, like, you're angry about, like, a specific topic, and someone tells you to just chill out, you're not going to be like, oh, I'm fine. I'm not frustrated anymore. Yeah. It usually ends up with more anger and more frustration at that person that asked you that. And it's the same thing with having an anxiety attack. And I think an important thing to... For us to consider is that different from someone who's like lashing out in anger or and not exhibiting self-control mm-hmm. when you're having an anxiety attack it's it's something chemical that's happening in your brain and what happens is and I'm not an expert on this but I know enough to to understand how your brain works so that I can help help you as best as I can. <laughs> but what happens is your emotions in your brain take over. Mm-hmm. And they're heightened. And they're heightened. And your emotions have no logic and no reasoning. So I know that I, in those moments, have tried to reason with you mm-hmm. to help you understand that what you're freaking out about is over, you're, like, overreacting to the thing. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because my logical brain is working. 
mm-hmm. but your logical brain is not my, working. My left brain is is out of it's out of commission. <laughs> it's not there. <laughs> yes. So, what are things that people say that are helpful? Well, at least for me, and I feel that with my friends, they can also agree to this. There isn't really anything that you can say. There might be something specific for that specific person that helps, but overall, what helps almost everyone is to just listen to the thing that's causing them distress. It, like, being asked a bunch of questions doesn't exactly help if they're loaded questions. Like what? Can, like, can you tell me what happened and why you're upset and and just, like, that Because sometimes, sometimes you can't even articulate why you're upset. Mm -hmm. It just happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that leads me to listen to the problem. So you just, sometimes you just need someone to listen to the problem, but... If you aren't at a point where you even have words because mm-hmm. you're too upset, what can someone do in that point? Because you can't share anything at that point. Mm-hmm. What can someone do to help you in that moment? I think the first step is to just sit next to them if they're like sitting down or standing next to them and just just like help them. Like, calm down, not by asking them what's wrong, but by just... Or telling them to calm or, down. Or telling them to calm down, <laughs> but just helping them go through, like, breathing exercises, and telling them to take, like, slow, deep breaths, and then, and then they, when they have the words to express what's happening to them, then you can ask what's wrong, and let them tell you what's wrong and don't have any judgment until after they've finished. Yeah. Don't cut them off. That's like a pet peeve of mine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's really good, Audrey. Um, so are there, um, are there any techniques that you use just regularly, um, and recognizing that when you're in the midst of an anxiety attack mm-hmm. and you don't have that part of your brain that's functioning, you probably have a hard time calling on these skills and tools that you've learned. Yeah. But on the regular, when you're always kind of carrying some anxiety with you, especially when you're in school situations or public situations, um, what are things that you do to help manage manage the 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 presence of anxiety that's kind of always there. So pretty much what I've always done is what's worked for me is to find like a small object near me and to just, this is for if I'm having like a panic attack because it's the only thing I can remember how to do to like calm myself down Mm -hmm. is to look at like an object near me, think about what that object is, what it's used for, its characteristics, and focusing on that distracts me, even for just a moment, what I'm 
having an anxiety attack over. Mm. And then, once I've calmed down a bit, I can reality test and figure out if my worries are valid if I'm overanalyzing anything. So you could kind of work yourself backwards Mm -hmm. by thinking about something that's totally unrelated to the issue. Yeah. I've heard that doing math problems can sometimes help. Have you tried that? I mean... I know (laughs) math actually causes anxiety for you sometimes. (laughs) So so maybe for you that's not a good idea. it, It probably works for other people, but like... Sometimes just <laughs> algebra causes anxiety. Fair enough. But like, th- but simple math, like one plus one is two, mm-hmm. two plus two is four, four plus four, does th- any of that? That hasn't really worked for me, although I can see why it would work for others. Because it's kind of like looking at the object, you're just doing something m- methodical, like... Yeah. Yeah, focusing on details. Repetitive. Yeah. I think that would work better for someone who enjoys math. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, I'm more of, like, a creative person. Mm -hmm. So looking at an object and maybe imagining it a different way or thinking about it in a certain scenario, thinking about using it, it's much easier for me to calm down using that strategy than it is to, like, count to ten or do simple math problems. That's a really good distinction, Audrey, that because you do have a more creative mind, that that technique um, of looking at an object would be better than math. Because someone who is maybe more analytical, and we are all kind of wired when, you know, lean one way more than the other. And so... That's just a point that what works for you may not work for someone else and mm-hmm. vice versa. So that's really... It's, not, it's like never a catch-all solution. Yeah. You just have to try different mm-hmm. things to help you. So and Figure out what works for you. Yeah. So what I wanted people to hear from your story is um, to understand that when someone is in heightened anxiety, mm-hmm. um, like a panic attack that where they can't talk and um, really struggling, that they can't just flip a switch and turn it off. Yeah. And um, and really what you need is time mm-hmm. to recover, right? Yeah. And compassion and empathy. And maybe just like a hand on your shoulder, because I think even a, the physical touch of a hand like can ground you, right? Yeah. And someone to just sit with you through that moment. Sometimes you go off to your room and calm down. Yeah. And that, it just kind of depends on the situation. But, yeah? Yeah. I think if it's, like, a social situation that's happening, like, especially if it's happening at my house, and I have the ability to walk away, that's usually what I do. But if it's, like, an objective that I have to complete... Or I'm worried about, like, a memory or, like, just anything like that where there isn't a social situation exactly happening around me. Yeah. Then I use those reality testing things and focusing on an object. Where 
and then I walk away from the social social situation. Obviously, you can't do that in every given right like situation, but it's a good option if you can. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story and your experience with us, and um, you. It's a vulnerable thing to do, but I'm super proud of you because. These are things that we need to talk about mm-hmm. and we need to understand. And um, as parents, we it's helpful for us to hear from kids like you um, because maybe we aren't seeing something in our own kids, you know. So I'm hoping that other parents will hear your story and maybe see their own kids in a different way. I hope so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Thanks. You're welcome. I so appreciate Audrey sharing her story. That is actually a really important step in her own healing because she is sharing her witness of how mental illness impacts her. We really need to come together and normalize these conversations so that the stigma is removed and people feel freer to be vulnerable like Audrey was. This will help us move forward and heal. We all long to be, to feel heard and be known. This is a basic need. It's right up there with food and shelter. God created us to be in community. So when we don't feel heard or seen, we feel disconnected from a part of how we are wired. And this can create a disorienting feeling that over time, can grow into an anxiety disorder or other mental illness. Anxiety, when left to its own devices, can cause us to feel hopeless. I really want you to hear what Audrey shared about what is not helpful for someone with an anxiety disorder. When people try and convince her that it's not a big deal or they're looking at her like she's a freak, she feels unseen and unheard. And this leads to more anxiety because she's, again, she's feeling disconnected from community. It's helpful for someone to just sit with her in her anxiety. A steady hand on her shoulder can be grounding, breathing deep, slow breaths, and calmly reminding her to breathe. That is helpful. You show her you see your pain see her pain, and you help her brain to calm down without telling her to calm down. So apply this in your life. If there are people that um, get really upset, you can do the same thing with them. Just sit with them and breathe with them. That will help them feel cared for. Now, in my family, we, we are learning. And Some of what Audrey deals with today is because of parenting, for sure. We all have parent guilt that we carry because we all make mistakes. And mistakes are inevitable, but we proceed with love and humility. Audrey also acknowledged that she has felt some of this anxiety her entire life. And I can attest to that. Her preschool teachers can attest to that also. And some of this is genetics, and it's just passed to her through the generations. 
and some of it's environment. So some of it is environment and nurture. Anxiety can also develop out of trauma. Now, blame or cause, it's not the point, right? But naming the cause can help the person and their support system find a new path toward healing. Ignoring the anxiety or mental illness or downplaying its impact is rarely the right path forward. Now, we Christians, we do not always say the right things when dealing with mental illness. And we sometimes have a tendency to downplay what people are experiencing. That we say things like, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't worry so much. Or you just need to pray more. Now, of course, of course, we need to grow our faith through studying God's word, attending church services, because that's community and Bible study, because that's community also. And we're meant to study God's word in community, not just isolated by ourselves. And we should absolutely be praying without ceasing. But none of that means that trouble won't come or that an anxiety attack won't hit you at the most inconvenient time. In fact, Saying that we just need to pray more or have more faith implies that we can solve anxiety on our own. It also makes the person question themselves and wonder what they're doing wrong, which only impairs their connection to God. And that is the last thing we want because only God can bring the comfort that we need. And God knows this. And there are many examples in the Bible of people going to him in their despair. So we know that we're not alone. We know that God understands this. I'm going to read for you Psalm 55. This is verses 1 through 7. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me, for I'm overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats, and they bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. Oh, friends, anxiety is not new which means it's not new to God either. Whether it is anxiety in ourselves or in a loved one, we can bring it to him because he is our refuge and he is in control even when anxiety takes over. And we can support each other by listening and not dismissing one another's experience. Even if we don't understand it, we are complex, diverse human beings. And we are in this together. We've got this, friends. For further information on mental illness, visit nami.org.